0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be uh, entering into a sermon series on one chapter of the Bible and it's a chapter of the Bible that we as a church believe that if everybody in our church just believed the promises and truths in this one chapter of the Bible, then we could literally see God fulfill His purpose in each and every one of us, and that we could actually literally change the world, and that chapter is Philippians chapter four. But today what we're gonna do is I'm gonna be speaking a message to set up that series, and I'm gonna be speaking from Philippians chapter one so that we understand the context of chapter four and the book of Philippians is an incredible book and it's been called by theologians The Portrait of Christ. In other words, it's a book that paints a picture of what Jesus looked like, who He became as He fulfilled the Father's mission. And then it also paints a picture of us as what we should look like as mature followers of Christ. In other words, after we give our lives to Jesus and we become more like Him, what does that mean we should look like? Well, those truths are found in the book of Philippians. Now, I wanna set the scene for you of the book of Philippians and how it was written. AD 61, the Apostle Paul uh, finds himself in uh, Rome and he's under house arrest. So what does that mean? This is one of the times that Paul's imprisoned, but he's not actually in a jail cell. He's under house arrest. So what does that mean? That means he has a praetorium of guards, probably about 10 to 15 guards around him. And one of them would have been chained to him at all times. He would have been in kind of a residential house and he was allowed to receive guests. Uh, have visitors. He was even allowed to preach which I think would have been very awkward for whoever the guard was chained to him that day. Could you imagine on preaching day they'd be like oh I don't want to like be chained next to him. The guy yells like crazy. Um, So this is the Apostle Paul. Uh, Even even when he's in chains he's still wanting to, to encourage people. Just an amazing man. Well the church in Philippi heard about the Apostle Paul, being in Rome in chains and they figured that he must have some needs. So they sent one of their best leaders and his name was Epaphroditus. And they said to Epaphroditus, what we want you to do is we want you to go to Rome and take this financial gift to Paul to let him know that we're behind him, uh, we're Paul fans and that he's not alone and that we're gonna help whatever needs he have financially, we'll take care of them. And so Epaphroditus comes to Rome and gives the money to Paul, Paul's overwhelmed, but then something really kind of like sad happens, Epaphroditus gets really, really sick, to the point where they think he's going to die, and uh, and he kind of teeters on death, and then they, they nurse him back to health. And eventually he gets to the point where he's ready to now go back to Philippi. So the Apostle Paul writes a thank you note to the church in Philippi saying, thank you for sending me Epaphroditus. Th- thank you that, that he's going back to you healthy. Uh, and thank you that you, you've, you've helped me get through what I need. And that thank you note is the book of Philippians. That's what the book is. So with that, let me read to you from Philippians chapter 1, verse three to six. I think this is the very first chapter. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day till now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm having a bad day and I'm having a struggle day, Uh, and and maybe for you that means you're having a tough time at work maybe you're struggling with your boss or you're struggling with your work situation or the the company that you're running whatever it might be you're having a tough day and in the middle of that tough day maybe in the middle of a meeting you get an encouraging text message from somebody Somebody sends you something. Maybe it's a Bible verse. Maybe it's just, hey, just praying for you today. And it just lifts your spirits, doesn't it? It just kind of lifts you up. And you're kind of like, I can get through this. I can, I can do this because there's somebody else on my side. There's somebody else praying for me. Well, I can only imagine the church in Philippi reading this thank you note that they see is about five or six pages long. And they, the very first page in the first couple of sentences is Paul saying, I thank my God for you every time I remember you. I can only imagine the anticipation that they had about what else was going to be in this letter. I mean, it would have been just absolutely incredible because Paul starts off by saying, every time I have a conversation with God about you, I give thanks to Him. I choose to look at the positive every time I have a conversation with God about you. Think about how we communicate. How do we communicate with each other and about each other? Because I don't think it's always positive. Uh, I don't think we, we, we do that but w- could you imagine every time you wanted to say something to somebody even somebody that you're in conflict with and you, wanted to, you, you started off a, an, e- an email or a text with boy, boy we've had some good times together haven't we? Don't, don't you think that would change the tone of what was about to be received? If we started off with saying I'm, just, I'm thankful for you man I'm just so thankful for the times that we have had. Uh, when, we, when we pray for people, do we say that? When we're praying to God about somebody, do we say, God, I'm so thankful for what that person is in my life? Cause I don't think we do a lot. Because I think a lot of times our prayers to God about other people are usually about two things. Complaining, God, I can't believe that this person is doing this. And then we say, God, I wish you, you would just change this person. God, could you change? And usually what we mean is, could you change them so I like them better? So it's a very selfish prayer. I think we could really have a massive impact on the people around us if we would start thanking God upon every remembrance of them. Listen, if you're in conflict with somebody today, if you're in the middle of a situation right now that's very difficult, can I encourage you, thank God for that person. Now, I'm not saying thank God for for what they're doing to you but thank God for them giving you the opportunity to grow spiritually. The opportunity for you to be sharpened in a very difficult circumstance. And I think if we had that mindset, then we could approach the circumstances of life like the Apostle Paul who was reflective of Christ. Everything about the Apostle Paul paints a picture of what Christ looked like, why? Because if there was no Paul and all we had is Jesus, do you know what card we'd play all the time? Well, he was the son of God, he had no choice. He's Jesus, come on, let's get. No, 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 the Apostle Paul started off life as a murderer, the worst of the worst, and yet lived a life as a reflection of Christ and got to a point in his life where he was able to say, I have finished everything God asked me to do. So if you've had a bad start to life, you can still finish. And that's the promise that you have to have. But to do that, we have to be a little bit like Abraham Lincoln. And I'm not meaning that politically. Uh, What I mean is when Abraham Lincoln was asked, uh, how do you deal with enemies? He said, if at all possible, I try to turn them into friends. Imagine that. Imagine if that was your mindset. If at all possible. I mean, if it's possible, I'm gonna do it. Do you know we hurt Jesus all the time and yet he constantly remembers us in a positive light? All the time, we hurt Jesus. Can, let, let me tell you how we hurt Jesus, okay? And, and some of you need to hear this. I know it's tough and I know it's kind of like me giving you a smack, but you need it, okay? If you're doing something contrary to the Word of God, directly opposite to the Word of God, you are hurting Jesus. If the Bible says don't have sex outside marriage and you're doing that, you're hurting Jesus. If the Bible says to honour your mother and father and you are not doing that, you're hurting Jesus, Yet, Jesus says, I choose to remember the good things even though you hurt me daily. Well, if Jesus can do that, we can do that for other people. That's the example that Paul was talking about. Then Paul goes on to say, whenever I pray for you, I do it with all joy. Now, he's not talking about a natural happiness. He's talking about a supernatural joy. I saw an awesome acronym for the word joy this week as I was researching for this message. And it's this, J, Jesus first, O, others second, Y, yourself last. Joy comes from putting Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And I think that's totally true. You know why? Because I believe that true joy, not happiness, joy, the difference is a joy of, that's not connected to understanding. It can only come through Jesus. It can only come by focusing on Jesus because He's the only one that can satisfy our mind, our will, our emotions. We talked recently about a whole series of what's the difference between a believer and a disciple. And Paul says in Acts 13, 52, the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So if you, you need to be more than just a believer to be filled with joy. You've gotta become a disciple, a disciplined follower of Jesus, knowing that you need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Because without total reliance upon the Holy Spirit, then that joy just doesn't come. And we need it. We need the joy of the Holy Spirit, and I'll tell you why. Because the circumstances of life, the natural circumstances of life, they'll just wear you down. And they're going to happen. And they're going to be tough. And they're going to grind you. And if you don't have the joy of the Holy Spirit, you will end up in a downward spiral of depression where there's nowhere but down. And the only thing that can lift you up through that natural toughness of life and circumstances is the supernatural joy of the Holy Spirit. Paul, Paul had this. Paul's telling them this as he's chained to a guy under false arrest. And he's saying, man, I thank my God. And you know what? I do it with all joy. What an incredible mindset Paul had. You know why? Paul was a passionate man. I'm a passionate person. I get accused of being passionate. I actually think it's a very healthy accusation. I don't mind being called passionate. If you want to accuse me of being passionate, then I will say thank you. (laughs) Um, But here's what I've learned about passion is that you will pray whatever you're passionate about. Whatever you're passionate about will come out in your prayers. And so so here's what I know. If your prayers are, oh God help me and God change this person for me and God help me get through this and all your prayers are focused on you, then that means that you're passionate about you. And we're not meant to be. We're meant to be passionate about others. We're meant to be passionate about Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul was. He was passionate for others. Jesus was passionate for others. Jesus was passionate about you so that you wouldn't have to be. Let it sink in. Paul then goes on and says in verse five, he says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now, Do you know what Paul was acknowledging to the church in Philippi? He was acknowledging that they were not spectators. He was saying, I thank my God that you're participators. We're in the game together and I'm so glad that you are in the game with me. And he was saying, you know what? There's 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 an incredible power to having a common goal. Do you know a common goal and and, uh, unity can be used for good or bad? We, we see that all the time in the world. A group of people get together, they can either have a negative agenda or a positive one, but there's power in getting a group of people together. And the Apostle Paul was saying to the church in Philippi, hey, I'm thankful that you get that and that we're on the side of the cause of Christ. That was the cause that united them. That was the mission that they were all focused on. That's the mission we should be focused on. We should be focused on fighting for the gospel, fighting for Jesus. Jesus' mission was to die on a cross. Think about that. Why? So that you and I could be reunited with God. Jesus' mission had nothing to do with Himself. Not a thing. His mission was all about you and the Father. So to be like Jesus, we have to have a mission that's on others meeting the Father. That's what the apostle Paul was saying here to the church in Philippi. You get it. Thank you that you get it. See, John 6 3.16. It's a verse that pretty much everybody knows, even if you're not a Christian, you know John 3.16. For God so let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we know that verse, but we forget that the beginning of it says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. God loved you. God loved me. And the Apostle Paul got this and he knew that the church in Philippi got it. And then he says in Acts chapter 20, he says, I do not consider my life worth anything to myself so that I may finish my task and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the good news of God's grace. What do you consider in your life to be something of worth? What do you, what's, when you say, when you, is it material things? Is it your family? Is it relationship? What, what is it that you consider? Because the Apostle Paul said here, he said, I do not consider my life worth anything. Why? So that I may finish what God has called me to do. In Romans 15 verse 20, he said, I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. Paul knew what he was aiming for. Paul knew what his mission was. What are you aiming for? What's your mission? Because to be like Jesus, to follow the example of the Apostle Paul, we've got to have something to aim for. We have to have a mission. Jesus' mission, come and die on a cross. That's his mission. And he never wavered never ever got off focus. That was his mission. What's your mission? If you don't know what it is, you've got to find out what your mission is. Because I promise you, if you love Jesus, your mission is not just to consume oxygen for 70 or 80 years and have children. Okay, it's just not. That might be part of it, but that is not your mission. You're not here just to replace yourself and then just you know, tell a couple of people about Jesus. There's a mission that you have. And to do our To do what God's called us to do to fulfill our mission, we have to realize that the only way we can do that is in partnership. We have to do it with other people. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying. Which is why one of our core values at River Valley is unity and not agreement. Why? Because we know as a church, we're not going to agree on everything. But we can be united for the cause of Christ. That's what unites us. Jesus is what unites us. The Gospel is what unites us. The unwavering truth of the everlasting, eternal love of Jesus, that's what unites us. Paul then goes on and he says, I'm being confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on and complete it. Do you know God started the work of salvation by sending Jesus. God continues the work of salvation by Jesus living in you and me and God will finish the work of salvation by sending Jesus back again. It's not done yet, but it's all orchestrated by God. And Paul was confident about this. Did Paul have a confidence in the church in Philippi? No, he he loved them, but I don't think his confidence was in them. His confidence was in Jesus and their love of Jesus. And Paul knew the difference and he was acknowledging the difference. This is very important. He was acknowledging the difference to the church in Philippi about the difference between something that they started by themselves and something that God started. And that anything that God started, God would finish. And He wanted them to get a hold of this truth. Because when we start things ourselves and we feel we have a noble mission and we feel like, well, I'm going to do this, this is a good thing. But it's not what God has asked you to do. Now it's on you to finish it. Because God can't go along for the journey because it wasn't his mission, it's yours. And our success rate when we go on our own mission is usually zero. So you have to ask yourself today, is there a mission in your life that you want that you might think is noble, but it's not what God wants you to do? Because maybe you need to lay that down. And maybe you've got to pick up the mission that God has for you. Because when you do that, I actually think it's incredibly freeing when you do that, you know why? Because when you realise that it's God's responsibility to finish what he starts, the pressure's off you. You're like, it's not on you anymore. It's like, God started it, God's gonna finish it. Well, that's an incredibly freeing position to be in. But here's what happens, is that we forget how much God loves us. Jeremiah, Prophesying in chapter 31 in the Old Testament, speaking in the first person as God. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God has loved you. Some people need to hear this this morning. God has loved you since before you were born. You need to understand that. He's loved you. And yet you and I, we're born physically. You know, the first thing we do when we're born physically is we start running away from God. It's like in us, it's the sin nature to want to run away. And, 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 you know, why little kids, the first thing they go, no, no, you know, Uh, would you do this? No. And then we have to bring correction, however that looks like in your home. (laughs) Some of you need some correction on how you correct. That's another sermon. (laughs) But you know what happens is we're faced. We're confronted with the gospel message. We're confronted with the love of Jesus as we're running away from the everlasting love of God. And then all of a sudden we're confronted with it. And as we're confronted with it, uh, we realise that we can't make our own way back to God without Jesus. So we accept the free gift of salvation and we say, thank you, God. And then we begin a life with Jesus. And guess what happens when we begin a life with Jesus? It's really tough. It's really hard. And all of a sudden we start going through life and we're like, I didn't think it was gonna be hard. I thought it would be easy now that I've given my life to Jesus. No, 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 no. You know what it's called when you go through a very tough time and you love Jesus and you come out the other side with a stronger faith? Sanctification. That's what being sanctified is. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I went through some sanctification uh, all day Tuesday this week, uh, Thursday from about 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., pretty much all day Friday, and most of Saturday morning, I was being sanctified. <laughs> I want to quickly explain to you three Bible words that you can read and not understand unless I, unless I teach you what they mean. Those words are justification, sanctification, and glorification. And they're they're, they're big words, but they have simple meanings. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you experience justification, which means your sin is now gone and it's just as if you had never sinned. As you go through a Christian life and you go through difficult times, and you come out the other side with a stronger faith, you experience sanctification. When Jesus comes back and we receive our new heavenly bodies that will last forever, we will experience glorification. And that's the reality of how we experience what the Apostle Paul was talking about to the church in Philippi. So what does that mean? That means that if you're here today, and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, and you are still breathing, then you are still being sanctified. No amens. (laughs) Not one. Deathly silence on sanctification. Nobody's loving sanctification today. Everybody's like, can't I get through this without some sanctification? No, you can't. It's the only way to become more like Jesus it's the only way. And I can tell you that the good news is that if God is not finished with you yet and you are still being sanctified, then there is a great hope for your future. The bad news, if you like, is that if God's still got work to do in and through you, He can't do it with you looking the way you look today. He's going to change you. <laughs> Amen? Amen? See, there's a reality to us as humans. We don't like it. We don't like it and we wish there was another way and we're like, why? Why has God got to change me? Why can't He just use me? I'll tell you why. Because He can't achieve His purposes in you unless you and I look more like Jesus. See, the only way that God can finish What has started is for you to look more like Jesus. The only way for Him to make full the things that are empty in your life is for you to look more like Jesus. The only way for Him to make whole the things that are partial in your life is for you to look more like Jesus. The only way for you to feel adequate when you feel like you're not enough is looking more like Jesus. The only way for God to fix the broken things in your life is for you to look more like Jesus the only way for you to be healed when you're hurt is for you to look more like Jesus and the only way for God to make permanent the things that are temporary is if we look more like Jesus and God I promise you this will never start anything in your life and then abandon you he will not the Apostle Paul Made sure that the church in Philippi knew this. You know, David learned this lesson more than a thousand years before Jesus took a step on this planet. David the Psalmist wrote in Psalm 57 I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. God has been fulfilling His purpose in people's lives before Jesus came, when Jesus came. Since Jesus came, and until Jesus comes back, God is going to be fulfilling His purpose in our lives. And if you love Jesus and you're being sanctified, then thank Him today that you and I, you know what we are? We're a work in progress. Who's happy to be a work in progress today? I'm happy to be a work in progress. I'm glad I'm a work in progress. I'm glad that God's got more to do with me and He's got more to do with you. But He can't fulfil His purposes in your life unless you give your life to Him. And after you've given your life to Him, then you have to say, God, I'm ready to begin the process of sanctification. I know I'm not gonna like it, but I'm ready for it. But what I wanna do is I'm gonna pray here and then I'm gonna ask Pastor Drake to come up and he's gonna give you an opportunity this morning to actually start a life with Christ. Because I, I, I want everybody in this room to know this. Please listen to me, please, please. God loves you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. I know it. I don't care how much you think you've messed up. I don't care how much you think that you have gone wrong. I don't care how much you think you are unworthy. I know God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And the only way for you to fulfil it is for you to surrender your life to Jesus. And if you've surrendered your life to Jesus for salvation, now I'm asking you as a church to surrender your life for sanctification. Let's live sanctified lives like the church in Philippi so that we can look more like Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank You, God, for Your Word today. I thank You for Your promises and Your encouragement to us, Lord. Allow us to live lives, Lord, where we embrace sanctification, where we embrace You moulding us, You shaping us so that You can complete the good work that You alone have started in us. And God, I pray, Lord, that You would just just touch every single person here this morning. And God, allow them to see Lord, that You love them, that You care for them and that You are ready to embrace them this morning no matter where they are. In Jesus' Name I pray.